whiles away. Uh, appreciate that. But um, finished up looking at uh, Joseph. And uh, that night I said, whenever we come back on Wednesday, we're going to be going a completely different direction. And so see my stack of books here and you're wondering what kind of direction are we going, but uh, we're going to go a completely different direction and what I've been looking at, what I've been studying uh, even uh, before we finished Genesis, what I've been studying and looking into uh, was this thing of developing your own personal Bible study life. And now I believe that the group that is here on Wednesday nights are people who are students of the Word of God. I believe that the most of you are people who have done more than just attend church and, uh, you know, listened to the preacher and went on your way. You're all people who do study, who do dig in, and who do go further. Uh, but I thought that, you know what, it'd be helpful to just take some time and look at the subject of studying the Word of God and how to study the Word of God and how to rightly divide the Word of God. Uh, we live in a day, and, and social media uh God allowed it to be created and it does have a good purpose in that it gives us a tremendous way to propagate the gospel. Uh, uh, but with that, anytime uh, something good comes along, the devil finds a way to corrupt it. Uh, and of course, there's plenty of wickedness uh, that has been made available through the internet and social media and this type of thing. Uh, but also, uh, it has given a platform uh, to many people who consider themselves Bible teachers who would have never been allowed on a stage prior to the internet. Uh, the reason for that is uh, if I come to Brother Danny's church and he said, I ask him if I can preach and he says, uh, well, what do you believe? And I begin to tell him what I believe about the Bible. He would say, no, no. You're not going to be able to preach in my pulpit. And so pulpits were protected. Uh, pastors would find out what people believed and they protected the pulpits. And the pulpit was really the only place where teachers could propagate the gospel. So they either had no place to speak uh, or they had to start their own little group in which uh, were quickly... Uh, labeled as cults, and uh, so although they would attract some people, they were labeled as cults, we knew that they were way off, and uh, you know, we could teach against them specifically. Um, but with social media, anybody can hop on the internet and claim that they understand the Bible, and they can begin to teach all kinds of things. And the majority of the Christian population, sad but true, never checks what they hear. And so there is in our day, and boy, I'm telling you, I run into it more and more and more when I'm talking to people and they begin to tell me something and they, they really believe it and they're like, well, I heard this preacher say and they begin to tell me and I'm like, how, where do you even start? This is so messed up. The Bible doesn't teach that. And uh, th There are Bible verses. I started to copy and paste one and make a post about it the other day and then I'm like, ah, it's not worth the... It's, it's not worth doing if everybody just uh, get upset about it. But uh, someone had posted a Bible verse uh, on the Internet. And it was, uh, I don't even remember what it said, something about whatever, you know, so forth, and uh, given a prosperity gospel, giving a direct quote from the Bible, but it was given a prosperity gospel idea. And all these people, Christian people, professing Christians, amen, praise the Lord. I needed to hear that today. This has really blessed me. This has enabled me to go through. And I'm looking at it thinking, but it's wrong. 
That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the verse says. And even if that is what the verse says, it doesn't apply. You've taken it completely out of context. It doesn't apply to you and where you're at in life. And so great damage is being done to the doctrine of the Word of God. And it's much more difficult for pastors to protect true doctrine because all this is readily available and people help themselves to it. So with that in mind, what do we do? Well, the Bible tells us that there were a group of Christians in the town of Thessalonica who protected themselves against false doctrine in that they searched the Scripture for themselves. Not their pastor searched and taught them, not diminishing the pastor's responsibility and the pastor's job, definitely important. But the Bible is teaching there that every Christian needs to take responsibility for learning the Word of God for themselves. They need to learn how to get into the book, find out what it's teaching, and then understand whether what they're hearing is right or wrong? Is this uh, what we should be hearing? The uh, story is told of a... Uh, uh, um, excuse me, I, I'm forgetting the, an important detail. But anyway, uh, whenever you... I'll just I'll eliminate the story and just tell you the fact. Whenever you uh, learn to uh, find counterfeit money, you find counterfeit money, they never show you counterfeits because there's so many counterfeits, there is no way that we can ever show you all the counterfeits so that you will be able to identify every counterfeit when you've seen it. How do we train people to find counterfeits? We familiarize them with the real thing. We familiarize them with the real thing to the point that they immediately know whether or not it's counterfeit. I've grown up reading the King James Bible. This is our only Bible that I've ever read, ever memorized. It's the Bible that I've been familiar with. I've read it through many times uh, and still continue to read it quite regularly and so very familiar with the King James Version of the Word of God. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's important that you get, you stick with the same version. Is somebody can be quoting Scripture or they can post a Scripture and I will immediately know whether or not it version because I have only exposed myself uh, to one version. If you allow yourself to take in every version that there is, you will find that it's very hard to decipher when someone's saying something wrong because you don't have a definite to go back to. And so all these things being said, I felt like it'd be good if we would just look, and I don't know if we'll spend a couple weeks on this or if this is something we'll spend several weeks on. We'll just see how the Lord leads. Uh, there's definitely plenty of material to spend uh, quite a few weeks uh, looking through this and how to study the Word of God. Um, so uh, we're just going to dive in here and look at the subject uh, of developing your personal Bible study. Now tonight will be more of an introduction to the subject and then a lot of what we look at tonight uh, we'll be looking at more thoroughly uh, as we go through. And so some of the points that we look at tonight we'll be breaking down uh, as we go forth. So some of the stuff tonight uh, I'll just be mentioning it and not really explaining it. Uh, so be sure to come back so that you can get the explanation of it. We'll be looking at all of these things. The first thing, though, as we get into this, and if you want, turn your Bible to 2 Timothy 2.15, the verses there on your worksheet, uh, but you can go ahead and turn over there, and this will kind of be the theme verse for the entire study, although we'll look at multiple scriptures. This will be our theme verse that is the basis for this study. And in 2 Timothy 2.15, 
Paul instructing Timothy concerning the Word of God. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Let's go to Lord in prayer and then we'll get into study. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us your Word. And Father, we thank you for the... Uh, the amount of truth that is found in your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, that it is applicable. We thank you, dear Lord, that it is practical. We thank you, dear Lord, that it is a book that we can govern our life by. We thank you, dear Lord, that it instructs us in righteousness. Father, it instructs us in holiness. It shows us the way of salvation. It teaches us the importance uh, of righteousness. And Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, dear Lord, as we look at this study, and Lord, we begin to just uh, take a practical look at how to rightly divide the Word of God. Father, I pray that you will help us, uh, Lord, to learn to use some tools, uh, Lord, to have some principles whereby we look in Scripture, that, Father, uh, Lord, we may protect ourselves uh, from false doctrine and from her heresies, uh, Lord, that surface so often. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for this group of people that are faithful to come to your house. I thank you for them. I pray you will be at the teens while they're away at teen camp. I pray you'll be with the uh, children downstairs and the CG three program. I pray that you bless Robbie as he's teaching tonight. And Father Lord, we'll thank you for it. Bless us throughout this evening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, here in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Whenever we think about the word of God, we think of it as a single volume. It, it, we have always had it as a single volume in our lifetime. We received it as a single volume. We treat it as a single volume. And because of that, it's very convenient and I thank the Lord that he has made the Bible so available to us. Today, I counted the Bibles in my office. Whole Bibles. I didn't count New Testaments. I counted the whole Bibles that are in my office. Not all of them belong to me. I think four or five of them are ones we set out for the church. Uh, most of them do belong to me. I had 28 whole Bibles in my office. Uh, I thank the Lord that he has made the Bible so readily available to us that we can take it, we can use it, uh, and it is, it is something that is valuable to us. But because it's always been in one volume, we tend to view the Bible as if it were written in one setting. And because of that, it can cause us to come up with some wrong ideas and wrong opinions. We, we look at this and we're like, well, the Bible is one book and it's written in one setting. And so whenever we look through the Bible, we don't realize that it must be divided. It must be broken down. Whenever I think about the Bible, you know, and this is true of, of me, and I'm sure it's true of, of you as well. When we think about the Bible, you know, if someone were to ask us, do we have a knowledge of the Bible, right away we'd say yes, that we have a knowledge of the Bible. But in truth, uh, I have a knowledge of most of the major doctrines of the Bible. I have a good idea of the general theme of the Bible. I can explain the general theme of the Bible. I can tell you most of the prominent characters that are found in the Word of God and can tell you who they were and, and what role they played in Scripture. So it would seem that I have a good grasp on the Word of God. But I must admit, there are large portions of this book that I don't understand. 
There are large portions of this book that I really, if you were to ask me a question about them, I would have to set aside some time to diligently study because I do not know this whole book. I am not completely familiar with everything in it. There is so much that I could learn from this book, not to mention that the things that I do know about this book, when I dig into them, I find more and richer truths than I realized at the beginning. And so we see that there is much here, there's much to be learned, but it must be divided. We must realize that there's an Old Testament, a New Testament. We must realize that it's broken into different parts and understanding all these things helps us uh, to understand the message that God has given us from His Word. Uh, there's many uh, scriptures that I have there on your worksheet about why to study the scriptures. Of course, 2 Timothy 2.15, we just read. John 5.39, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Psalm 1 in verse number 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 119, 97 to 99, we've been reading Psalm 119 on Sunday mornings. The whole chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible is about the importance of the Word of God. But verse 97 and 99 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies. How am I wiser than my enemies? Because of the Word of God. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For thy testimonies are my meditation. Proverbs 6 and verse number 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Jeremiah 8 and verse number 9, it says, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Why, why would wise men find themselves in this position? It tells us in the remainder part of the verse, Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And without the word of the Lord, what wisdom is in them? There is no wisdom outside the word of the Lord. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. Acts seventeen eleven. This is the verse I referred to earlier. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, Paul instructing Timothy again said, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So why study the scripture? I believe there we have a list of scriptures that drive home the importance of us applying ourselves to knowing and understanding the word of God. Being able to dig into a passage, find what it means and apply it to our life. Now we'll move on to the next point here and that is how to study the scripture. We know that we need to study the scripture but how do we study the scripture? And of course we can always just take the Word of God 
and read the Word of God. And I'll say right here that we should be very cautious of finding ourselves putting more reliance on man's writings than we do the Word of God. Now we're going to be looking at some of these uh, go through this study looking at their value and how to use them, but we need to always be cautious that whenever we're studying the Word of God, the Word of God is the main textbook. Uh, I have known people who could talk theology uh, until you were blue in the face uh, who rarely read the Word of God. And many times you would see holes in their theology because they had never studied the book. They were just quoting what somebody else had said. So the book got to be where you start. And I believe any student of the Word of God needs to saturate himself with the Word of God. There's a set of commentaries that I that I would like to buy one of these days. I'm going to buy them. I just haven't done it yet. Uh, uh, but the guy who wrote the commentaries, he's an evangelist. He still uh, preaches uh, to this day. Um, before he wrote his commentaries, he felt he needed to write commentaries. He was prepared to write commentaries, and so he was going to start this journey of writing this set of commentaries. But before he started, he read the Bible through 200 more times. Back, cover to cover, cover to cover, cover to cover, 200 times. Then he said, now I'm ready to write the commentaries. I believe that any student of the Word of God first be saturated with the Word of God. That's one of the main reasons I want his commentaries. I'm like, if this guy is that saturated with the Word of God, his commentaries have got to be good. So first thing is the Word of God. Second thing, whenever we consider studying the Word of God, and either of these are on your worksheet, because I feel that there are things that we should just know instinctively. First, we must saturate ourselves with the Word of God. Second, never approach the Word of God without prayer. Never try to study the Word of God without prayer. The Bible tells us that the things that are in this book are spiritually discerned. In other words, there are things in here that we will never understand unless the Holy Spirit teaches us. So anytime that you're going to study the Word of God, it ought to be that you go to the Word of God in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that you have to kneel down by your desk and spend an hour before you begin reading the Bible, although I'm sure that wouldn't hurt anything. I'm not saying that's what you have to do. But you should be in an attitude of prayer. As you read the Scripture, it should be, Lord, show me what this means. Lord, reveal this truth to me. Lord, open this up to me. If you are looking in a commentary and you read what someone says, Lord, is this the right interpretation? Is there another way to understand this? Stay in an attitude of prayer. So you should always approach the Word of God with it being the main textbook and the Holy Spirit being the main teacher. But if we come to a more practical viewpoint of studying the Word of God, we understand that there are various approaches to Bible interpretation. Would that be your blank there? There are various approaches to Bible interpretation. And there's a lot of different uh, subsets to what we'll be looking at, but they all basically boil down to one of three ways of interpreting the Bible. The first is literally. Literally interpreting the Word of God. And I'll just say up front that this is how I believe the Bible should be interpreted, and that's what we'll be teaching as we go through the study. Interpreting the Bible literally means believing that the Bible says what it means. I don't believe that God would give me a guidebook that he didn't intend for me to be able to use. 
He said what he meant. He meant what he said. And when we read the Word of God, we can take it literally. We can take the passage at face value. We can interpret the Scripture based on what is clearly seen in the passage and in comparison with other passages. So whenever we read the Word of God, we can see what it says. It's clear what it says. We compare that with what is said in other places in the Bible, and we can get a clear understanding of the Word of God. So we interpret the Bible liter literally. Now, there are... Uh, in the Bible. There are spiritual meanings in the Bible. We've been looking at the parables and as we've looked at the parables, we say here's a practical application. Here is an application where we see the Israels and the Israelites and the Gentiles. So this does exist in the Bible but it can be seen that it's there. When the Bible speaks literally it is, or figuratively it's uh, obvious and that is the second approach to interpretation is figuratively figuratively. So some believe that we should interpret the Bible literally. I would be in that group. Uh, some believe we should interpret the Bible figuratively. This means translating every passage symbolically. Everything is a symbol. Everything means something else. Now there are symbols in the Word of God. Take the book of Revelation, for example. There are many things in the book of Revelation uh, that we do not understand, and some people get themselves in a lot of trouble in trying to explain what these things are when the Bible does not say what they are. Uh, but there are definitely symbols in the Bible, but whenever you translate the Bible figuratively, means you read a deeper meaning into every passage. Everything you read has a deeper meaning, but the danger of interpreting figuratively is they become so focused on the deeper meaning that they begin to believe that what is obvious may not necessarily be so. For example, there are those who believe that the creation account is not speaking about a literal creation that happened in seven literal days. They believe that it's symbolic and represents something else. They believe the flood account doesn't speak of a literal flood that destroyed the world, but instead it's figurative and it represents uh, something else. Uh, uh, we could go on and on. They teach that hell is not a literal place, but it's figurative and it symbolizes something else. And so they interpret the whole Bible figuratively. This method of interpreting the Bible figuratively is the basis of most, if not all, false doctrine and especially all cults, is interpreting the Bible figuratively. Because whenever you begin to interpret it figuratively, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. And therefore they can build their own doctrines. The third approach to Bible interpretation, which really isn't an interpretation of the Bible at all, uh, but is something that is used by people oftentimes, and that's philosophically interpreting the Bible. Philosophically interpreting the Bible. Now, both the previous ones, literal and figurative, do take their basis from the Word of God. So although they are interpreting it differently, they are both based in Scripture. But when you come to philosophical interpretation, you will find that Scripture is twisted to support preconceived notions. This is what I see primarily in a lot of these online platform speakers. 
They have a philosophy that they want to promote and they twist the scripture to fit their notion. That's like the verse I was talking about a little while ago. They are wanting everybody to believe that if you are a Christian, everything's going to be rosy. You're going to get checks in the mail. You're going to have nice homes and nice cars. You're never going to run into any problems. They have this preconceived notion that that's what Christianity is, and then they try to twist Scripture to support this preconceived notion. But there are denominations who follow this philosophical method of interpretation. Catholicism is founded on this type of interpretation. You say, how, how is that? Oh, well, the Catholics start with preconceived notion. So the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary. That's nowhere in the Bible. Purgatory. Um, prayers for the dead. Um, Trubstantiation, which is the, the, way, the bread and the wine turning into the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that communion. And, and we could go on and on and on with stuff that the Catholics teach. That's nowhere in the Word of God. Nowhere in the Word of God. But they come to the Word of God with these preconceived ideas that this is what they want to teach. And then they take select passages out of context, twist them to support their preconceived notions. And so they do not actually interpret the Bible as a whole at all, but instead they use it as a proof text to support their traditions so they can say that they're doing what the Word of God says. So th these are three methods of interpretation uh, that you will find and there are many different uh, subsets as I said before but all of them will come down to one of these three you will always find and then of course there are always when you have this there are always overlaps and there are people who, who do a little bit of all and uh, possibly if we were to be honest uh, if we were to check our own selves we all are guilty of all three in some form or fashion at some point, you know, uh, we may have something that we want to do and we find ourselves beginning to try and support it with Scripture or uh, we may see something in Scripture like, wow, I don't know. And if we're not careful, we begin to build something that uh, isn't there. And Boy, I've heard some messages by folks that were well intended that I'm like, brother, that's a stretch. Really, I mean, you know. And so, so anyway, these are methods of interpretation. So understanding the various means of interpretation, we realize the importance of correct Bible interpretation. And that'll be your next blank. The importance of correct Bible interpretation. Paul, instructing Timothy, had much to say about interpreting the Bible correctly. In 1 Timothy chapter number 1, I'll take a drink of water if y'all want to turn over there. In 1 Timothy chapter number 1, Paul's instructing Timothy about uh, in teaching the Word of God and the importance of teaching it clearly and correctly. And in verse number 3, Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So I left you uh, there at Ephesus for the purpose of uh, making sure that they weren't teaching the wrong doctrine, uh, that you charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. 
Catch verse, verse number 6. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. And I'm sure that you have heard some people speak who considered themselves students of the Word of God, but as you listened, it sounded like vain jangling. Where do you come up with this stuff? Vain jangling. The problem is that they've turned aside from the faith. Verse number 7 says, Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Desiring to be teachers but having no idea what they're talking about. In verse number 19 of the same chapter, Paul says, Holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. In verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, we looked at verse number 15 as our text verse study to show thyself approved. But in verse number 16 of 2 Timothy 2, the Bible says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So we see that Paul says correct Bible interpretation is vitally important. Correct Bible interpretation provides protection from corrupt heresies. Paul's telling Timothy here, you interpret the Bible correctly, it will protect you from corrupt heresies. In Jude chapter number 1, verse number 3, Pastor Ken's been teaching through the book of Jude on Sunday night, been enjoying that study. Uh, he says in verse number 3 of the book of Jude, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why is this important? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm writing to you to tell you, contend for the faith because there are those who are corrupting the message of the grace of God. In 2 Peter 2 and verse number 1, uh, Peter says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves a swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. There is a speaker and I can't remember his name right now, or I would tell you his name. You should listen to him. Uh, but anyway, there is a speaker uh, who is very popular, very popular and has a tremendous following, who just a couple months ago in a message said that Jesus would sin in order to bring people to salvation and took Scripture to try and prove that Jesus would commit sin and that Jesus did commit sin in order to bring salvation because Jesus' ministry was never about condemning people but only about offering grace. Can you imagine that someone would so corrupt the Word of God, so corrupt the Word of God that they would make such a statement and thousands upon thousands of people attend this church, listen to this man online and they hear what he says and because of who he is and his position, 
The Bible says they follow his pernicious ways. We need to interpret the Bible correctly to protect us from corrupt heresies. Corrupt heresies. Correct Bible interpretation also provides protection from fatal false doctrines. Provides protection from fatal false doctrines. Why do I use the word fatal there? Because although our God is a God of grace, although the Bible clearly states that it is he, that he would not will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, he desires that all men be saved. While all this is true, there is only one way of salvation, and that is through belief in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And any other way is fatal. Any other belief is fatal. If you believe that your good works or something that done is what will merit you heaven, it's fatal and you will spend eternity in hell. Correct Bible interpretation protects us from falling prey to these fatal false doctrines and there are very many of them and we may look at those at some point but as I said about the counterfeit money we want to look at what's right and then we'll be able to identify what is wrong. So, how do we properly interpret the Bible? Uh, boy, I'm telling you what, we, we uh, trying to get going and running out of time, but we're almost done with the introduction here. How do we properly interpret the Bible? Let's begin by considering the golden rule of Bible interpretation. The golden rule of Bible interpretation. You should write this in your Bible somewhere. It's a very uh, uh, a statement that a lot of Bible teachers will use. Our professor uses this statement quite often. Uh, and several commentators that I read after will use this statement. But the golden rule of Bible interpretation is this. If the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. If the, if the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. In other words, when I read the Word of God, and what I read is clear and obvious what the Bible is teaching, I do not need to try and dig out some other meaning that the Scripture is not saying. Now, not at all am I saying that there aren't deeper truths in the Word of God. Oh, definitely they are deeper truths in the Word of God. This book is so rich, it is like a gold mine, and you can keep digging out all kinds of nuggets that are found in the Word of God. I'm not talking about finding the truth of the Word of God. I'm talking about changing what it says to mean something different. If it speaks plain, take it for what it says, lest you turn the Bible into nonsense. This is the golden rule of Bible interpretation. With this in mind, let's give some consideration to some guidelines for correct Bible interpretation. Uh, first of all, we interpret the Bible literally. As I said, this is the way that I interpret the Word of God, the way that we'll be teaching to interpret the Word of God. We interpret literally. Believing that the Bible says what it means, taking the passage at face value, interpreting the Scripture based on what can be clearly seen in Scripture and in comparison with other passages. Another guideline for correct Bible interpretation is we interpret culturally. We interpret culturally, and we will be digging into each of these much more in depth as we go through this. Uh, but just basically, when we say we interpret the Bible culturally, we understand that the culture that impacted uh, the writers and those who were alive during the time that the Bible was written was much different than ours. 
And understanding their culture helps us to understand the applications of the Word of God. Uh, Just for example, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed here several weeks ago, and it says that it grows up into a tree and birds of the air can lodge in it. Well, there's no mustard around here that birds can lodge in. We do have a plant that we call mustard, uh, but it's not the same as what is in Scripture. Understanding culturally helps us to correctly interpret the Word of God. We interpret the Word of God, letter C, geographically. We interpret the Word of God geographically. Understanding the locations that are mentioned in the Word of God, the distances from these locations, the elevations from one to the other, the weather patterns, we could go on and on and on. Understanding the Holy Land and how it was laid out and how uh, everything was affected there can shed light on passages of Scripture that we wouldn't understand otherwise. So we interpret geographically, and then we interpret historically, understanding that the Word of God has been written in many different time periods. Uh, This book, although we have it in one volume, was written over the course of 1,500 years. We say we can't comprehend eternity. I can't comprehend 1,500 years. That's a long time. I can't comprehend a hundred years. I've known a few people who made it to a hundred and I'm just like, wow, you must be like a walking encyclopedia, everything you've learned in a hundred years. I can't comprehend 1,500 years. This book was written over the course of 1,500 years. You just look at the United States of America and how much it's changed over the last 200 years. And imagine how much history changed over the course of 1,500 years while this book was being written. Understanding that helps us to interpret the Word of God. There are 400 years, we refer to them as the 400 silent years, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. 400 years. Imagine how much things change. Understanding that, history helps us interpret the Word of God. And like I said, we'll be looking at each of those a little more in depth, the importance of understanding them. But the last thing that I have there, and this is what the whole stack of books is for, is just some helpful tools for Bible study. And as I said a little bit ago, you should always remember that the Bible is first, the Bible is paramount, the Bible is the final authority, the Bible rules. And anytime you go into Bible study, if you use a man's book to correct the Word of God, you're headed for error very quickly. The Bible is always king. But we are blessed to live in a generation when there have been many men who have gone before us who have paved the way to enable us to study the Bible without the amount of effort that they study. Now, I've got a few books right here that I believe every Bible student uh, should uh, have sooner or later. And I've kind of listed them in the in order here that I think you should get them. And the first is the 1828 edition of Noah Webster's English Dictionary. Now, I know there's a lot of Webster's Dictionaries, and you can help yourself to any of them. You can go to the Goodwill store, the used bookstore, and pick them up for a dollar, the 21st century Webster's Dictionary. But language changes. Language changes. This Bible that we use was... Uh, first put together in 1611. Uh, We refer to it as the King James 1611 because that's when it was put together. It did go through a couple of revisions, not changing the content whatsoever, uh, but changing the the typeset, uh, changing some of the letter formation, uh, uh, changing some of the punctuation to bring it to where it should have been. And so the, the copy that we use was actually 
I think it's 1729, I think is when, or 17, 1700s, I'll have to look up the exact date, is when this was produced. Um, and so, when we have a dictionary that was written in 1828, the definitions of the words that you find in your King James Bible are similar to what is in the 1828 dictionary. You get a 21st century Webster's Dictionary and you'll find a completely different definition. Not to mention the fact that Mr. Webster in this dictionary, you won't find this in a new dictionary, but in this dictionary, uh, you look up the word love. He'll tell you what love means in the English language and then he'll say, in the Bible, the word love means, and he will give a Bible explanation. And many, 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 many words in this dictionary, he will tell you how it is used in the Word of God and what it means in the Word of God. A tremendous book. Uh, this book, new, is about $55. Um, you might find them used at a bookstore. I never have. I think the people that have them keep them. Uh, but you may find one used, about $55. Valuable, valuable, valuable book. I'll tell you another way that you can get it in just a minute that's not $55. Every Bible student should have that dictionary. The second thing I believe every Bible student should have is a Strong's Concordance. Every Bible student ought to have one of these. Every word that is in this book, in the King James Bible, is in here. It tells you every word that's in here, and, the, but, every word that is in the King James Bible, is in this book. It'll to give you every scripture where that word is used, every one of them. Then it gives you a number that is linked to a Greek or a Hebrew lexicon in the back, uh, so it'll tell you what that word meant in the Greek. This is invaluable. Now, I believe that the King James Bible is the preserved word of God in the English language. I have friends uh, who won't attend church here because I will not back down on the fact that I believe this is the preserved word of God, not change my mind on it. It is the book that God gave us. But it was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. And any time you translate from one language to another, there are certain things that can't be communicated the same way. For instance, for example, the word love that we use in the English language, there are like five different words in the Greek language that, are, that define different types of love. So whenever I read in my Bible the word love, I need to find out which love are they talking about. And we'll get more into this a little later on. Matter of fact, it's part of our next study. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, but this book helps me know what is meant? The, the story about Peter, lovest thou me more than these. Uh, the, the words in that phrase, although they're the same, are different in the Greek. This book helps us to understand that and get a fuller understanding of the Word of God. A Strong's Concordance is an amazing book. And plus, uh, one way that you can use it is um, you know that there's a verse in the Bible somewhere that says whatever it is you're wanting to deal with, but you don't know where it's at. If you can remember one word that's in that verse, you can find it in Strong's and it'll tell you what, where it's at. And so it might take you some time, but you can find it. And so Strong's is a tremendous tool. You can get this book brand new uh, from Christian Book Distributors for about $15. You can pick them up at used bookstores for a couple of dollars. They're pretty readily available. Uh, I actually had um, like four of them, I think, and... Uh, my one original one is was worn out, and then I had like three more that people just give me. Um, and so I've passed them on and then hung on to this one, so I had a good one. Uh, but that's another book you should have. Another book, and 
you could argue that maybe this should be the first book you get before either of these, and that's Haley's Bible Handbook. This is a small little book. Uh, to buy this news, about $22. They're pretty readily available at used bookstores. I pick them up anytime I see them because I like giving them to new Christians. Uh, this book right here uh, will just give you an overview of every book of the Bible, who wrote it, when it was written, what group of people it was written to. There's a lot of maps in here. Uh, there's a lot of things in here about culture. It just gives you a good overview of the Bible and what the Bible's about. Tremendous book that Christians should have. I also have here this Manners and Customs of the Bible. Uh, this is for a later lesson. I just accidentally carried it out. That's what it is. So there you go. Um, uh, so there's some books that I think every Christian should have. Uh, and then also I believe that every Christian should get them a good study Bible a good study Bible, and a, a study Bible is a Bible with notes and study helps that can help explain the passage, and I believe every Christian should have one, uh, and I'm sure that some of you do have study Bibles. I have a stack of them here. The one here on top is actually Brother Randy's. Uh, this is Thomas Nelson's study Bible, and I'm telling you what, this is the new newest version of the Thomas Nelson study Bible. Thomas Nelson makes a good study Bible, but boy, I'm telling you, in this edition... They went over the top. It's got color pictures, maps. It's got a tremendous amount of resources. I asked Brother Randy, I said, can you bring your Thomas Nelson? Because I wanted to show his off. Because, boy, I'm telling you what, a great Bible. Do you remember, brother, was this about $50 is what this Bible cost uh, for this Bible? Genuine leather, tremendous study Bible, big Bible to carry around. But, you know, you can carry a smaller one and keep this one at home if you don't want to lug it around. Uh, then we have... Uh, this is the Schofield Study Bible. Uh, many of y'all probably familiar with the Schofield Study Bible. Uh, Schofield for years was considered the study Bible of the independent Baptist. You weren't a Baptist unless you carried the Schofield Bible. I mean, everybody had a Schofield. And Brother Schofield does have some tremendous notes, tremendous helps. Uh, but I will say, on any of these, remember that they're men. And I could take time and tell you things about every one of these Bibles that I disagree with, the things that I don't agree with completely. So just remember they're men, and the Scripture is the final authority. But Schofield is a great study Bible. Uh, this here is the Thompson Chain uh, study Bible, uh, which actually we cleaned out my dad's office, and I collect Bibles and found out that I must have got that from my dad because he collects Bibles too. Uh, and fourth edition Thompson Chains were his favorite. I showed you the one that I have. Uh, that was worn out, and he had a stack of 4th edition Thompson chains. Uh, if you buy a new Thompson chain now, it would either be a 5th or 6th edition. The reason Dad liked the 4th edition is because when they would do a new one, they would change the layout of the Scripture, and he couldn't find what he was looking for because it was at the wrong place on the page. Uh, but is a great Bible. Uh, it links Scripture with Scripture. Thompson chain has a tremendous amount of study helps in the back. Uh, you can... You could actually, Brother Danny, you could teach Sunday school for a year just out of the back of a Thompson chain. I mean, the ton of stuff in the back of them. Great Bible. This is the open Bible. I'm not overly familiar with the open Bible. I've heard about it for years, and Brother Yates, our professor, refers to it often. So I got myself one so I could get familiar with it, but he refers to it often, another good study Bible. Uh, Henry Morris, we sold this one for Christmas a couple years ago. Uh, Henry Morris uh, actually was an a influential guy in battling evolution that was creeping into Christianity. And uh, Henry Morris, so the, the gist of this Bible will be defending creation. 
but he is, it is still a very powerful study Bible. He's got a tremendous amount of helps in it. And there are many, many more study Bibles that uh, you can have. And uh, you can get these Bibles depending on the binding. You can get them anywhere from $25 to as much as you want to spend uh, on these Bibles. And so... Uh, you can get those, but I believe that every student of the Word of God should have a study Bible. They should have these books so that they can dig into the Word of God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how to dig in, how to use these tools, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's something that helps you and benefits you so that you can dig in and find the truths of the Word of God, and I'll continue digging in, and you know what? We'll become students of the Word of God. You know, there may come a day when we're not able to meet together like this. I hope that day doesn't come. But there may come a day when three or four of us are meeting at Brother Lewis's house and three or four at Brother Harry's house and three or four at Brother Ted's house and we're sneaking and hiding. And if we've become students of the Word of God, we can continue teaching and learning and growing. And so I believe that every Christian should be a student of the Word of God. I've went long tonight. I apologize uh, for going long. Uh, but we'll go ahead and get ready to close in a season of prayer. I wonder if anyone has a prayer request that they thought of during the lesson that you wanted to do.